So we're, uh, we're on issue 8, on 8.1, which is growing in the church. And so tonight, we want to talk a little bit about how we can do that, how we can grow a little bit in our understanding of the church and uh, understanding our role in the church. This is always an interesting issue to cover. Um, the teaching of the New Testament on the church... I think, in a lot of ways, clashes with our uh, American culture more than it clashes with other cultures. Um, We tend to be a very individualistic culture. Um, We aren't as as bound by family units, for instance, as other cultures are. Um, We think nothing of your kids all moving away for jobs and things like that and, and not being around you. Um, it's kind of baked into our DNA because of our history. Um, you know, we the the people who started settling here were, in essence, uh, being individualistic in a good way, um, looking for freedom to worship. Um, but you know, we we kind of started demonstrating even with uh, with Britain um, our individualism by by taking all of their tea and throwing it in the water. <laughs> and telling them to get lost, or we would shoot them. <laughs> and uh, that's kind of the way that's kind of the way we've been. And then, then we have cowboys, and we've got the Wild West, and it's just, uh, it's just baked into us. We are very individualistic. And that goes on um, even in marketing campaigns. You know, you look at television commercials. Have you ever seen a television commercial that told you how to be more like everyone else? They're usually not predicated on what will make you blend in. (laughs) You need this product because it's going to make you stand out. It's going to make people notice you. You're going to look different. You're going to look better. People are going to want what you have. Um, That's just just the way it goes. And so uh, we tend to be individualistic even in our own neighborhoods. We don't know our neighbors very well, a lot of us. You know, I try... But I'm not very good at it. And once you hit winter, I don't see my neighbors for like six months. You know, it's there's a there's about when when I park the car, there's about this much space between my car door and my house door. So my neighbor would have to be standing in that little space for me to say hi. Um, but we don't we don't tend to live in community really. In fact, we can live in neighborhoods and know hardly any of the people. Unfortunately, that translates into the church, and we become individualistic in the church. And church is not something that we go to to be a part of a community. Rather, it's a place where we go to get the particular commodity that we need. And so we go to church for our spiritual fill-up, or we go to church because they have a particular program that's very beneficial to us or to our children. And all of that's fine and good because we need programs and we need spiritual fill-ups, but we tend possibly to err more on the side of not thinking about how relational church is. That church isn't something that we go to where we view people on the stage doing stuff 
and then telling us stuff, and then we eat a bagel, and then we go home. <laughs> um, of course, I'm 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 over I'm overemphasizing it. It's not it's not that bad. But sometimes we, and when I say we, I mean I, forget that church that the church is relational. It's a community. It's people living together and working out the gospel together, working out life together with each other, together. Notice the use of together a lot. That's what church is is supposed to be. And so um, sometimes I think maybe we fall short of that idea. Um, I think we've got a a very relational church. I'm very happy with our church. Um, But we need to keep growing. We need to to keep getting better. We need to be able to identify um, our cultural influenced ways of thinking that aren't beneficial for us and try to reject them wherever possible. And you can see that show up in, in some of our some of our sound bites. We've heard lots of times that there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian, for instance. Um, Lone Ranger Christians are, are the people that they're saved, but I could take or leave the church. Don't really need that. Um, I've got the salvation and that's what I want. That's really what I was after. I wasn't. I was never after the whole community thing. Um, look at that second soundbite. The church is not an organization, but an organism. What'd you say to that? The church is not an organization, but an organism. Is that true or false? Do you agree? If you agree, what does it mean? Okay. Well, no, I, I have the same question. It's, it sounds kind of uh, like something somebody who wants to write a book would say. Mm-hmm. I think it's true. I mean, organisms are usually living, breathing things, and, and we function as a body. Christ is a, a living entity. Okay. And, and organism itself um, reflects organization. So. Okay. Okay. Good. Anyone else want to chime in? Mitch? I like the quote, but as far as, it just depends what you're referring to. You're referring to the gifts and specific ministries that the church, the individual church focuses on. Mm-hmm. It should develop organically based on what people have. But at the same time, people develop their doctrine their, and much of their practices often organically. Okay. 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 Good. Good. Anyone else? Dale, what do you think? Uh, what would if you're thinking about how you would describe the difference between an organism and an organization? Anything come to mind? Because you're right. It sounds. It's a. First, you're like, yeah, that's right. What does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, a, you know, I think it's a great idea to, to think of it as a more intimate experience. You know, it's not a dead organization. Um, you know, we, we like to get rid of a lot of the hierarchical um, trappings. Uh, we like the, the familial idea. The, you know, the, um, Paul talks about, you know, I'm an I, or, a, you know, a, a 
so I'm at the head, I'm at the, you know, the, the extremities, or however that works. Um, and that's kind of cool. But, I mean, I, I guess that, that's, a, that's a great division there to say it's not just a dead organization. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? Um, you know, I obviously would you say that a church can make it very far without having organization? <laughs> right, right. So the the church is partial. Uh, the the statement is partially true, I would think, but you know, not to the exclusion of organization. Um, I was trying to think about it <clears throat> because I when I first read the quote, I was like, yeah, that's right. What does that mean? Like, how, if I had to really explain it, how would I explain it? And the things that I wrote down are are kind of reflective of some of these other others quotes. For for instance, the fact the the one two three four fifth quote: the church is not a building; it's people. Okay, that's reflective of it being an organism. I think uh, both of you have brought up the fact that. Um, some of the illustrations for the church in the scriptures, in fact, most of the illustrations call it a body, which is an organism. Um, you know, one of the things that I think we've recovered to some degree um, in the evangelical church is the fact that the church isn't defined just by its leaders, by its organization, by its hierarchical structure. That's not the church. That's part of the church. But we all together are the church. And so the church isn't exclusively a group of, of, of people that decide certain things and tell us what to believe, and then we just take it and do, do whatever they say. Um, the ministry that's supposed to be taken, that's supposed to be carried out um, within the context of a local church is supposed to be carried out not by the administration alone, but by the people. All the things that are supposed to be happening are supposed to be happening, in, in essence, organically, not just programmatically. We have this thing that we need to get done. Let's come up with a program that we'll pay people to administrate and do. Rather, this needs to be done. We, all of us, do it. So that's, that's something uh, I came up with. And then, of course, w- what I alluded to earlier, the fact that the church is not simply a dispenser of goods and services like in, like other organizations. It isn't the spiritual services that we subscribe to. Okay, we, we all need insurance, so we go to an organization for our insurance. We all need uh, this and that, and there's different or there's different organizations to service those needs. And of course we got spiritual needs too. So we select a church that's going to dispense to us the goods and services that we think we need. That is a a consumeristic way of viewing the church. And of course, I'm not accusing any of us in here of having a a, a consumeristic view of of church. But there are people that do, and there are churches that build their philosophy on giving the consumers what they want. Not uh, not realizing the, 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 the fact that the church is an organism. That it's, that it's people that when I come to church, I'm not just coming to get, I'm coming to contribute. I'm, I'm coming because 
there is something that, that I have the re- responsibility to supply to the body, not just receive. You know, I, I read one of these things on, online. This is the quote that, that made me, that I also was thinking in connection with this quote about organization versus organism. It says, uh, one person said, increasingly, formal organizational structures are what we use the term church to, to designate. The structures have thus become a functional substitute for the social organism the New Testament calls church. In America, in the end, in America, the church has come to be understood as a vendor of religious services and goods in what has been dubbed our religious economy. We live in a world of religious consumers and religious firms in the business of serving them. It's a good quote, isn't it? And I think... I think it's right on. Now, obviously, we don't say it to the exclusion that, that there, we need organization in the church and we need leadership to get these things going, but the church is us, not them. All right. I think we've beat, uh, beat that horse dead, haven't we? Okay. Um, the next one. I'm a Christian. Well, let's, let's because this one kind of goes with, with the case study of Yolanda, let's jump over to the next page, 8.2. Um, somebody be willing to read that for us? Mm-hmm. Ever since you met Yolanda, she's been a bit hard to figure out. You introduced yourself to her when you noticed she was reading a Bible on the train you both take to work each day. Actually, you've developed quite a friendship over the past, past couple of months. What's odd is the fact that Yolanda always seems so interested when you talk to you when you talk about your church and how much it has impacted you. It is particularly strange, as you are sure that she is a very motivated Christian. She just doesn't care much for churches. She grew up going to church with her grandmother and still attends church occasionally on Sunday mornings, but that's about it. She wants to learn all she can, but she doesn't feel a need for fellowship or accountability. She attended a small group once, but felt it was just a bunch of people who wanted to talk about their problems. That really turned her off to any such interaction with church people. Instead, she listens to Christian preachers on television and sometimes on the radio. She believes she gets all that she needs to grow in her Christian faith. Uh, she even witnesses to her co-workers even more than you do. What do you think about Yolanda's decision about the church? What do you think about her spiritual growth? Okay, thank you. All right, so there's lots of things that we could, we could say about that. So how would, uh, how would you answer those questions? Start throwing things at me. Figuratively, um, of, of your, how you would respond to, to her or that situation. I think, uh, I think she's put her personal needs first. Okay, it's you possible. Know, where, you know, it's, uh, to really be part of the church family, you think about others' needs. Good. Very good point. She, she's possibly thinking um, too focused on her own needs and not thinking about the needs of others. Okay. What else? Lots of things we could say here. She used the excuse that church people had turned her off. Sometimes people just make excuses so they don't have to, you know, attend church. Okay. And give the uh, article to a special 
Okay, okay. People have excuses? You want to say something? Well, I was just thinking about what you said about the, you know, 1 John 4, 7, and 8. It, I mean, it's it's kind of an awkward thing that someone who's been on fire for the Lord and just doesn't care about Christian people. Yeah. You know, I mean, it kind of seems to fly in the face of you know, what a Christian is. Right. Okay. Good text to bring up as well. Mitch? I, I have a point that's fit into this case study very well. And it's very active with his faith. Affecting needs in ministry in, in the inner city part of Detroit. He's very involved in, in a lot of religious things, but he's visited a lot of churches and some in our circles, but won't. There's always something wrong. Okay. And what he, he wants to be very active, he wants to do his own thing. So okay. he'll go to a church, he'll find particularly a church that's very weak, maybe the, the pastor is just kind of a lame duck, where he thinks he can go in and do his own thing and not have authority and kind of run his own show to run his own little world. And it always blows up on him. And so now, you know, I don't think it's going to any church. And when we've talked with ridiculous length with him about it, but really he's so anti-structure, anti-organization, particularly anti-authority, that he's so hung up on this being organic point that it's uh, to an extreme, okay, he's, obviously doesn't please God. Okay, okay, so we've got, and that you're, you're pointing out the fact that he, this is uh, an individualistic way of looking at it. Uh, you know, I want to I do what I want to do. And man, when I'm in church, I'll leave, there's all these people getting in the way. <laughs> it's easier for me to do what I want to do if there's no other people around. That's true. <laughs> okay, what else? Any other things you see there? So she witnesses to her co-workers. How could she be a true witness if she wasn't involved in the church family. I don't think she would be a true witness. Okay, she's certainly missing a dimension. Um, But we all know lots of people who are very strong in evangelism, very strong in evangelism, that are trying to lead people to Christ, but they have no intention of assuming that person into the the local body that's creating little individual entities all over the place. Any other thoughts? You know, you need someone to monitor your direction with her, especially when you're first coming to the Lord. You know, you can have some harebrained ideas and someone can straighten you out. I mean, let's face it, you can, I can read something in the Bible and really this could screw it, you know? And this is what you need your church family for. You say, oh, he's not saying that to you. This is what it means. You know, reread it. Yeah. You know, and that, that is where the body of the church is really important, is helping your walk. Okay. Yeah, there's that, there's that accountability and help and shepherding that you get from the rest of the body to help you grow. Okay. That's a, that's a very good point as well. This is all very good. Does anyone else have anything? One of the things that I, I pulled out of there was that I, just noticing what she says is... All the things that she does are focused on her learning. And it's almost, in her mind, and in some of these people's minds, 
that growth is just learning. It's just filling your mind. Is that true? Okay. Why isn't that true? Why isn't why isn't growth just about learning more stuff about the Bible? Because it's true. I mean, you know, you can hear the the preacher. If if you, there are a couple, one or two good TV preachers, and there's a reason they're on TV because they're really good. And there's some good radio preachers. You, you generally have more success with them. Um, there are some good ones, and they're really good too. Better than I'll ever be. Uh, which wouldn't be hard, I know, I'm saying it for you. Better than I'll ever be, so you can learn a lot from them. But is growth just about what, is growth just about what you learn? No, I think growth is meant to lead to maturity. Okay. And part of maturity is implementation of not just the, the whole learning aspect, but the doing aspect, the other aspects of, of the gospel. All right, exactly. Like life experiences. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. This is exactly right, Dale. You ever notice the older guys get the more we talk about sports? Because <laughs> right, because when you're younger, you're actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's, you can really fill your mind. Uh, I mean, you know, being a forgetful hearer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, I, I know I'm so guilty. And it's so easy for me to judge others for being, you know, really enjoying prattling on about things. And that's just hollow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My illustration went nowhere, didn't it? No, I understood it. I didn't understand when you first said it. <laughs> no, I, I got it after you explained it. I can't even know about sports. Okay, Michigan State sweatshirt. Okay, excuses, excuses. This is accountability right here, Gene. <laughs> Okay, so, so one of the things that we have to get through our, our heads is that knowledge doesn't equal maturity. Knowledge is part of the equation, but knowledge is not equal with maturity. There are a, a whole lot of other things that are involved in the Christian life that, it, that involve giving and doing and being and leading and helping and all these sorts of things that you will never get to, you will never have those dimensions if in your mind or my mind, growth is what I know. Uh, the other thing that I keyed in on here and what she says is that she went to a, um, she attended a small group once, but it was just a bunch of people talking about their problems. <laughs> well, if you've ever been to one of our community groups, um, it can be that, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes our problems come up. And I think this aspect of it goes Back to a little connects a little bit with what Mitch was saying. Um, when you when you join yourself to a community of people, they've got problems, and sometimes it's messy, and sometimes it's uncomfortable, and sometimes it's frustrating for you because this person is struggling with this or doing this, and you just wish they could get by it, and. Uh, Again, what that comes what that comes down to, and, and I, you know, perhaps she was in in a group, in a small group or a fellowship group that was gossipy. I don't, you know, who knows? It's it's a made up story anyway. But part part of the reason that we go in these groups is that so we can share our problems um, with each other and then bear one another's burdens, which is a Bible verse, <laughs> something that we're supposed to be doing. 
and um, you can more meaningfully bear one another's burdens and pray for one another and do life with one another when you're actually with one another and you're not dipping in to get what you want and then and then heading out. So, do you think people like that actually kind of hurt the church too? Like, like Yolanda? Yeah. I mean, because if she's a believer and, and she has a talent and she's not volunteering herself as part of the body. Um, you know, God organized us as a body for a purpose to serve his will and his agenda for of our church and his church. And um, if she's not offering up her services, mm-hmm. so to speak, I mean, she could be hindering. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The outreach or whatever yeah. her, her role may be. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. So we would say then, in response to Elon, just to tie a bow around this, is that is it possible to be uh, is it possible to be a Christian and be disconnected from a church? Yes, it's possible. But when it comes to when it comes to maturity, um, there is a a dimension of maturity and growth that will never be realized apart from the community. And so there may be growth in knowledge, and there may be good things, you know, vibrant witness, but it's but it's stunted growth. It's incomplete growth. And uh, that's not uh, obviously not what the scriptures want for us. All right, well, let's look then at a couple of things that the church is supposed to be about in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. Uh, let me read this to you. In Acts 2, we're on page 8.2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's look at the second question on page 8.3, where it says in Acts 2, Luke gives us a brief picture of the church in Jerusalem. Okay, we're in Acts 2, so the, the church is a baby. It's just been born. And this is kind of the first snapshot and look at what the church was about, what these these, uh, believers are about. So Luke's account gives us a picture of what we are to be like as a church. According to Acts 2.42, what were the believers devoted to? What's the four things that they're devoted to? The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. Okay. Their agenda is pretty simple, wasn't it? Sometimes we complicate it. <laughs> They've, they're, but we, but this is what we need. This is the template that we need to build our church ministries around. <laughs> there needs to be a focus on apostolic teaching. What's apostolic teaching for us? It's the New Testament, not to the exclusion of the Old Testament, of course, but God's word. Their focus is on God's word. They want to know what God's word has to say. They're focused on God, on the apostles' teaching. They're wanting to find out what they're, 
what this new life in Christ is supposed to be about, and how are we supposed to work it out, and what does it look like, and how do we obey it? And they're focused on fellowship. They weren't; It wasn't a consumeristic thing for them. It says, from day to day, they're getting together. They're being with they're, they're being with each other. They're not looking at church as something that I go to on Sunday morning. I'm with everyone in a sanitary environment. I ask them how they're doing, and then I walk away about from them, and I forget about them until the next Sunday rolls around. That's not the way it worked for them. And that's not the way it should work for us either. They're uh, focused on breaking bread. You know, they had these, uh, this is likely referring to the Lord's table that they were celebrating one another, and they often had what they call, they often ate, actually ate a dinner together. Um, we kind of do the same thing, we just break it up a little bit. Our dinner is a little bit, maybe an hour later. They put it all together, they ate together, and they celebrated the Lord's table together. And they devoted themselves to prayer. Now that's a big one, isn't it? Again, we, we talked about prayer last week, didn't we? And um, prayer we talked about last week more in an individual context, but this talks about the corporate or the community aspect of prayer. One of the things that we as Christians bound together in a local church are supposed to be doing is praying together. And that's some, often, I think, maybe the thing that we forget the most. And maybe it's sometimes because of what I said last week, the way I feel. Sometimes I feel like I'm not doing something. we got to be doing stuff. And you know what? We can fill our church schedule up with all kinds of stuff to do. There's literally no end to the amount of things that we can do. But we are going to wither as a body if we don't give ourselves, devote ourselves to meeting together and praying together. And that's why in our community groups, on Sunday nights, we pray together. And we've got a half hour set aside for it. And sometimes it's hard for us. We're like, oh, half hour? We gotta pray the whole time? <laughs> what are we gonna think of? <laughs> but this is an area that we can grow in, can we not? Where we really we really get serious and we pray together. And we're not afraid to pray together. And we're not afraid to talk about things that we need prayer about. And we're not afraid to ask each other to, for help and to just go before God's face together as a group and beg him to work on our behalf. That's what the early church was doing. And believe it or not, you know that you put that agenda down in a book and throw it in a Christian bookstore, it's not going to sell a whole lot of copies. <laughs> but it worked for them <laughs> because they had a lot of converts, didn't they? <laughs> Thousands of converts. Um, so it's what you know. Next question: Why do you think the church enjoyed such favor with non-Christians? Why do you think that in that context the church enjoyed such favor with non-Christians? Because it, it talks about other things that they did, not just that we've got the four things they focused on, but we've got these other things that they're doing: selling their, they're caring for one another. Um, okay. Is that anyone like inclusive? 
It's, it seems like they're giving, it seems like the anyone is referring to their group. So why, why are they enjoying, why are they enjoying favor with those that watch? Any ideas? I always kind of thought about that. Um, I mean, even that is a gift from God. It seems like we, in our culture today, really want to be liked by other people. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And the more we want to be hip and cool, the more we're just not. Yeah. I love hearing what other non-believers have to say about, like, Christian, Christian stand-up. <laughs> and they just think it's... Just, it's just the corniest thing in the world, you know what I mean? Whereas you making fun of my weekend job. Yes, I am. Um, <laughs> but the, you know, the the attempt to, to, to try to gain favor, mm-hmm. where it, it you know ultimately, and I'm, I'm sure there's there's other reasons to unpack, but ultimately, it was a gift from God. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They're foc- they're focusing, they're not focusing on what can we do to make everyone like us. They're focusing on what they need to be focusing on, and they're enjoying favor. Any other ideas? Okay, Mitch? John 13, it says, By this stall, and I know that you're my disciples, we have love one to another. It doesn't say that you have love for everybody. Yeah, on Dale's point, I remember like, I remember after 9-11 thinking about how attractive, almost, almost had like this, uh, I don't know, they were so curious and, and attracted to Islam. And, and part of what seemed to attract them was that, hey, here's a religion where people are really dedicated to it and dedicated to each other. And I don't see that in Christianity. Mm-hmm. They just, you know, let's, we're, we're, you know, we're taking care of anybody but ourselves. And uh, there's, a, there's a respect and attractiveness to seeing a group of people that takes really good care of each other. Yeah. Just, like, just like a family that takes really good care of each other. Yeah. In this passage, they are doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think. I mean. I think you're hitting the, the nail on the head by bringing that verse up. The fact that men knowing you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. Um, obviously, this isn't a promise to us that if if you focus on the right things, the world is going to love you. I mean, Jesus has told us that the world is going to hate you. Um, but there are people that are going to look and see. People should look. At, at the church and see it as a as the way I the way I think of it as a countercultural outpost. What are these people doing? How how could, how can they get together like that when they've got such diverse backgrounds? How is it that everybody there is just accepted? How is it that everyone there how, they pull together? And, and and pull for one another, and they love each other, and they meet together, and they're they're doing all these things for one another. You know, what would it be like to be a part of that? That's just totally countercultural, and that's what the church is supposed to be. The church is a, a little taste of the kingdom of God, and and there are going to be people who are going to look on that and like Mitch said, they're going to say, wow, those are people who really believe the gospel and have been changed by it. 
not the people that say they believe the gospel and then spend a lot of other time, a lot of their time trying to make the gospel or the church look cool so that people will like us. We don't, we're not attracting we're not attracting people to coolness. We're attracting people to Jesus, and people that have come to Jesus are going to be changed by Jesus, and people are going to see that. People are going to see that. Well, we've got all these passages here. Um, which we've got seven minutes to talk through. Got these passages here. I say that every time, don't I? I the time goes the time goes by so quickly. Let's look at uh, let's look at First Corinthians twelve. If you have a Bible, look at First Corinthians twelve. I'm going to turn there as well. We've talked a lot about the fact uh, the fact that um, the, the church is an organism, and the fact that the, the Bible uses the metaphor of a body over and over again. In fact, the last question here: What are some of the metaphors Paul uses to describe the church in the passages above? I don't know if you did this ahead of time, but the only one I found was the body. Maybe you maybe you found one or two others. Aaron Aaron's shaking her head, oh. so you must have found another one. I don't know if it's in every one of them. Is that what they were asking? Not ev- not necessarily every. Um, well, I came up with a lot. One hope, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. <laughs> okay, I see. I see what you're. Okay, I see where you're going with it. Yeah. Yes, there's lots of things that that we have that we're unified around. Um. But like especially in Romans 12 and in 1 Corinthians 12, we've got this metaphor of the fact that the, the people, the members of a church, are a body. Let's just briefly read. Uh, I'm going I'm I'm to read it quickly. 12 to 27, because this is so important. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. And then it goes on to talk about how the eye is saying to the hand, you know, I want to be you, I have no need of you. Um, And it talks again about how God has put um, the body together. It says in verse 27, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, and we're each a part. Now, a, a lot of times, um, a lot of times, we we think about this passage, um, the, the very obvious application of the fact that sometimes um, we don't like our particular role in the body. Um, I would rather be doing that, and that person is doing it, or. Sometimes in churches we have people who want a particular position because it seems like um, there's more recognition at that position. 
So for people that are exercising verbal gifts in the body, they tend to get a little bit more recognition because they're in front of people. And that's not fair. It's just the way it is. But there's a lot of people in our church and many of them in this room that don't get a lot of recognition at all and are serving very faithfully and putting in a lot of time. Okay, so we've got that going on in the passage. We've got people that want a different position. Uh, they want to be the eye. They don't want to be the hand or whatever. But um, our problem, uh, another problem that we have <clears throat> is, is not just jealousy about roles, but not having any responsibility in the body at all. I'm just, I'm here, but it's like the body has a, a hand that just doesn't do anything. Or an eye that's just shut. Or a foot that never moves forward. And I think that's the question that we all need to ask ourselves. Because I don't think, it doesn't seem to me, that jealousy over positions is a huge issue in our church. I'm sure it happens, um, but I don't think it's a huge issue. I think, I think if there's anywhere that we might encounter a problem, it's it's body parts that aren't doing anything. And so that's what that's what I want to to leave you with tonight. Are you a body part that's just sitting there and taking up space? You know. The, the passage that we read said that God has, has placed us all in the body. He's given us all a role as he, see fit. he sees fit. That means that every one of us has an ability as a part of this church to serve in it. And I think that our church, I mean, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people serve in our church. A huge percentage of us are serving. But... Maybe there's somebody here, and you haven't really jumped into the game. And so the question that, that I think that we should all ask ourselves is, are we a part of the body that, that isn't functioning like it ought to? You know, if you, if, you're, if you don't have a place to serve, or you don't know what to do, there, there are people that can get you going. If you have a strange schedule, we can work with that. Um, but moving past even formal responsibilities, I'm working in the nursery. I'm working in, in Kids for Truth on Wednesday night. I'm a greeter. I help with food. I make copies during the week. Whatever. What about the part, what about the informal responsibilities that we're supposed to be having? It's not enough just to do your job. As an organism, when we gather together, we're supposed to minister to one another. Would our church be revolutionized if we, each one of us in this room, came to church thinking about serving someone else? Would that, would that revolutionize the church if we came thinking, I'm going to find somebody that I can talk to or encourage or pray with, I'm not going to walk down the hall and say, hey, how you doing, and let that be it. Now, not with everyone. <laughs> and I, but 
but just the desire to get into each other's lives and serve one another. And not just on Sunday, but throughout the week. Because a body, your body doesn't just work one day a week. <laughs> Sunday is when we gather, but we're the church scattered throughout the week. And we gotta, we gotta be our part, do our part. We gotta obey all these one another's that are in the article of loving one another and praying for one another and, and, um, bearing one another's burdens and, and all the 20 or 30 some reference, one another references there are. The church is primarily your responsibility because you're the church. It's not the pastor's responsibility. It's not the leadership's responsibility. The church is you and me. And so we got to do it. Okay? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the church and for the amazing idea that that was that you have had in your wisdom. I thank you that when we're saved, we become part of the body. We have the privilege of being part of local bodies and identifying ourselves with these local bodies and serving these bodies. Lord, uh, help us, help us all increase our service to one another. Help us just have a, a burning desire to to serve and to be used by you and to see what you'll do with whatever we've got. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.